is Bloomberg Surveillance. China is reflating through credit growth, and the Fed has become a bit more dovish and has served to weaken the dollar a bit. Clearly, it wasn't the Fed intervention that was bringing down interest rates. It was the, the glut of global savings. I don't think the Fed should just raise rates for the sake of raising them. They certainly want to make sure that the steps that they take are well justified. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. It's 8 o'clock on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee. Francine Laclau sitting in this morning for Tom Keen, who is using Francine's vacation days to take a few <laughs> days off. It's a very nice of you, Fran, to, Typical. Uh, to, to give it to him. <laughs> or did he tell so you? unreliable. <laughs> uh, we're conducting a contest. Where in the world is Tom Keen? If you think you know, you can tweet us. Uh, we're not saying anything other than they accept dollars where Tom is. Uh, and no, John Tucker, we're not going to make sure it's a one-way ticket and he can't come back. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> We're watching uh, markets a little lower today. There's some pessimism, but overall, the general feeling has been that things are getting a little better, and you see that maybe reflected in oil prices as much uh, a question of demand as well as supply. Uh, David Harrow is a longtime friend of Bloomberg Surveillance. He's uh, Portfolio Manager uh, and Chief Investment Officer for the Oakmark Funds at Harris Associates, and he's with us now. Uh, there's an interesting story on the Bloomberg Today from uh, Michael McDonough. He's the Chief Economist at Bloomberg Intelligence. And basically the headline says it all, peak pessimism on global growth may be passing. Is that kind of the feeling you see generated in the markets these days, that we started off the year about as depressed as we could be, and now people are beginning, uh, maybe as the weather warms up, to feel better about things? Well, you're starting to see it uh, when we meet with company managements. They're starting to sound a little bit better. Um, and it's all all based on this notion, I believe, that perhaps growth has bottomed. You see the United States, the world's largest economy, growing at the 2-plus percent. Europe seems to finally be slowly waking out of its slumber. Uh, perhaps China has bottomed. So you're starting to get this feeling from companies uh, that things perhaps don't look like they're getting worse, which is which which is a positive. And the last thing I would say in regards to this is the consumer, the global consumer, is actually quite strong. If you look at unemployment rates in the major economies and low interest rates and low energy costs, you combine these three things together, and the biggest driver of uh, global economic growth, the consumer, is actually fairly healthy. So your view would be optimistic as well at this point? Yeah, I, I think if, especially when you look, when you combine this with valuations of, of businesses, so business valuations are attractive, uh, growth perhaps is picking up, uh, you have very, very little dislocation as far as, as as far as large imbalances in the global economy. I mean, things could always be better. And, of course, the political environment is awful. And I think this is one of the things dragging markets down. People uh, vote via the stock market, even though, you know, this political environment really doesn't have much to do with medium and long-term earnings growth prospects. So this is, uh, I think, one of the... um, influences that is providing opportunity to buy quality businesses at lower prices. 
David, I'm so excited to have you on because you're a truly one of the few shareholders that instills fears in the eyes of a lot of European CEOs. Are you increasing your stake in Deutsche or Credit Suisse given the overhauls that we have seen or may see? Um, by the way, I think many, many of the management teams are committed to having uh, long-term shareholders who agree with the core objective of value creation are happy to have us on the registry um, because we are long-term shareholders who only do, who only hope to invest with managements that share that objective because often other objectives come into. Um, you know, the the horizon for these managements. Right. And we you're want just, to just focus on building value. And if you look a little bit more outspoken than what we're used yeah. to here in Europe. Well, because there's been some instances in the past where, you know, we, we assert our rights as large shareholders. Um, I mean, we are owners of the business. And, and it's unfortunate that sometimes corporate boards forget that, Private enterprises, listed enterprises, are not government entities. We're not non-for-profits, uh, and and what we're not here to employ um, lots of people on boards of directors. We're here to make money. We're here to be a recipient of recycled savings. I mean, these are people's retirement funds. This is their children's inheritances, et cetera, et cetera. And I, we just wish that they would all think that way. But back to your question about adding to positions of some of these uh, financials, we're not in Deutsche Bank, but we are in Credit Suisse. And we have used price weakness, as we usually do, to in increase our holdings. If we think a business is worth X and it's trading at one-half X or less and the price keeps falling and we don't believe X has changed much, we increase our holding just as a kind of a matter of how we do business. Oakmark's David Harrow with us here on Bloomberg Surveillance. We are... Brought to you by Cone Resnick, Accounting Tax Advisory. To minimize risk and capture value in private equity, you need Cone Resnick, where forward thinking creates results. Find out how at ConeResnick.com. I, I want to follow up on what you were just saying about Credit Suisse. And if we think a there's value in a company, you're saying we're adding to it. What's the value you're seeing in Credit Suisse? Because a lot of people wonder... They start behind UBS in terms of being a, a Swiss bank that wants to go into the money management firm. They're still dealing with uh, some of the legacy legal issues. Uh, how fast can they grow? How much can they return? Uh, I mean, actually, in Credit Suisse's position, they're kind of on the same tact as UBS in that they're trying to de-emphasize the investment bank. Now, they tried this a couple of years ago, and evidently, and now we look in hindsight, they did not make the transition fast enough. And I think with the new management came in in the middle of last year, it's been accelerated. When you have these changes, it's not often pretty or frictionless. And in the case of Credit Suisse, you know, there's been some friction, but they're headed in the right direction. And the right direction is allocating capital to places where you can get the best through the cycle return on that capital employed. And for instance, what Credit Suisse is doing is they're really building their wealth management business in emerging markets, specifically in Asia, which has kind of been starved of capital because perhaps the investment bank was taking too much of it. Areas in the investment bank which were not able to earn their through-cycle return were getting the funds instead of places like the Asian wealth management business, which is able to achieve this. And the beauty of what's happening at Credit Suisse is we're turning the corner and we're starting to really look at that capital allocation in a better way. 
But David, at the same time, the Credit Suisse share price has lost 30% since the beginning of the year. And when I speak to a lot of uh, banking analysts here in London, they say the problem is that we don't really understand what the end game is or they want more details from the COT Gentium. Do you refuse those accusations? Well, I think, in the, especially last year when they pr- presented their plan, you know, that again, you have, could be a little more specific. But I think quite clearly, as of today, I think the direction is known, and it just takes a little time because as you as you shut off risk weighted assets, you don't want a fire sale. These are sophisticated people. Why why just give assets away? But eventually, you have to slim down your risk weighted assets, and then and then recycle those proceeds back into what is, if you look at the last set of numbers, a very strongly growing private banking uh, uh, business and in Asia. And this is really when you look at growth of wealth creation, this is right where you want to be and others are leaving it uh, because they don't have scale. Credit Suisse does have scale. So I think especially as we get through some of these transitional periods in the next six months, it will become very evident what's happening and, and the value of this company uh, we will see is, is substantially higher than today's share price. These short-term price movements they're not pleasant, but if they don't really reflect reality, we're okay with it. Now, if we saw permanent value destruction, you know, you mentioned that price decline, uh, we would be concerned, but we really don't see permanent value destruction. That is, the price of the company has gone down, uh, has behaved far differently than the underlying intrinsic value. David Harrow from Oakmark is uh, with us. We'll continue Our conversation with him in just a moment. Right now, uh, we're looking at uh, markets that are not particularly friendly if if you are an investment manager or chief investment officer. Maybe it's better to just sit back today and listen to uh, Bloomberg Radio all day. Uh, S&P futures have really started to decline uh, down now by six points. They were flat about an hour, hour and a half ago. That's a three-tenths decline. Dow futures off by 44. That's three-tenths. And NASDAQ futures are down by 13 three-tenths. The uh, stock markets in Europe are also dropping. Stock 600 down two points, about six-tenths of a percent. Um, and I, I don't see a real cause to it at this point, Fred. Right. It's an absolutely fascinating conversation because, uh, you know, when you look at the volatility and when you look at really the future of what European investment banks will look like, it's something that people are really starting to question whether we're giving a free lunch to the U.S. All right. Well, stay with us here on Bloomberg Surveillance. Michael McKee and Francine Lacroix and David Harrell of Oakmark. Time to check in now with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Francine, thank you very much. President Obama has agreed to send 250 additional military personnel to Syria as part of the effort to combat the Islamic State group. President Obama announced the plans during a speech today in Hanover, Germany. Afghanistan's president is calling on Pakistan to battle the Taliban rather than try to bring them to the peace talks. Ashraf Ghani made the remarks today during an address to Parliament a week after a Taliban assault on the Afghan capital, Kabul killed 64 people and wounded another 340. Ted Cruz and John Kasich have cut a deal in an effort to stop Republican frontrunner Donald Trump from winning the number of delegates outright for the party's nomination. Cruz and Kasich say they will divide certain upcoming states. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists 
In more than 150 news bureaus from around the world, I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Francie. Thank you very much, Michael Barr. Well, it's a uh, hockey week ahead with the Capitals facing the Penguins. Tom Keane on vacation watching all the games. Maybe we'll get a report from him this week. In the meantime, we're counting you down to the opening bell. Brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures moving lower this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures have extended their losses since the last time we spoke. Dow futures currently lower by 54 points. S&P's down 6.5 and and Nasdaq futures decline by 16. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.86%. And European markets are also declining, led by 1.3% losses in Italy. On the U.S. economic front, it's 10 o'clock new home sales and a 10.30 Dallas Fed. In other news, Halliburton reported a $2.1 billion charge, delayed earnings to May 3rd, Sarepta halted ahead of FDA panel, Perigo named John Henriksen as CEO, also cut Europe's view below lowest estimates. In deal news, Gannett proposes to buy Tribune Publishing for $12.25 a share. Regarding earnings this morning, LabCorp raised year view by $0.10. Cents. First data EPS beat by a penny, and Xerox was mixed. Finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Kimberly Clark got to hold over at Deutsche Bank. At Goldman Sachs, Joy Global and Caterpillar raised to neutral. Public storage cut to sell. International paper cut to sector reform over at RBC. And Jazz Farmer raised to buy over at SunTrust. Live from the first breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen. Thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Mike and Francine. Thank you very much, Karen. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Explore what high conviction investing means to investors, uh, Invesco's value to equity managers. Watch the conversation at Invesco.com slash interactive. We're talking with David Harrow from uh, Oakmark uh, about uh, some of the stocks he loves and hates. One of the stocks, David, that uh, you uh, loved when others hated it was Glencore. certainly has paid you back over mm-hmm. the last uh, few months. Uh, so far, year to date, it's up 73%. Uh, however, this last week, we've seen iron ore come roaring back, and that has uh, a lot of the mi- uh, mining and commodities stocks up. Uh, you know, like Rio Tinto's up 20%, and Glencore only up 5%. Is is the run uh, running out of steam for Glencore? Um, I think not at all. <clears throat> and we're very happy. We'd much rather be invested in Glencore, which exposes us to copper and zinc as opposed to iron ore. And why? Because the cost curves of these metals are vastly different. Uh, iron ore has an extremely flat cost curve, so if, as prices lift, you'll see supply come back rather quickly. Uh, copper is not quite the same at all. It has, it has a very steep cost curve, so as prices lift, still it's, it's difficult and uneconomic to, to bring uh, ore to the market at, at a economic, in an economic fashion. Uh, and if you really believe in the, uh, more, more and more electric cars, 
uh, copper, there's 60, 65 pounds of copper in an electric car. So this is a, a green story, Michael. You, know. <laughs> you can feel good about your investment while you hold No, but on. really, the, the, the heavy lifting that really caused that kind of share price spike in Glencore was the stabilization of the balance sheet. Glencore today is really, really trimming down, has really trimmed down its debt. This year, at $4,000 a ton copper, and today we're at 5000 at 4000 they're still cash flow positive, and that's because of their, where they are in terms of cost of production of the minerals, and of course, their trading operation, was, which is very unique and very strong, always seems to generate, you know, say, two and a half to three billion in, in uh, EBIT uh, through thick and thin because they're the bigger trader, the biggest trader in many of these commodities. So you have the margin of safety from the trading operation. You have a good operations in, in coal, zinc, and copper, and you have a, a less, a lot less leverage on the balance sheet. So if we look at normalization of copper prices, and and what Glencore could continue to do to generate free cash flow, we still think the company has significant upside. Uh, but, David, when you look at, uh, you know, the, some of the sell-offs and you were mentioning the fact that they've been downsizing, so uh, they sold the agriculture business a couple of weeks ago for $2.5 billion. Was that enough? Could they have gotten yeah, they, a better price? Well, that was a, that was an acceptable price. Now, recall they didn't sell control of it. They sold 40%. So they still control the business. And now they have a partner. Really, this is a good business that, you know, hopefully they could continue to grow and make more valuable. So they still control the business. What they sold was a minority stake. And they shouldn't have to do uh, much more in terms of asset sales with the cash flow they're going to generate. With the asset sales they've already done, I, I think the big asset sales are, are basically completed at Glencore. Well, so this company has its worst behind it then? I certainly believe so. And, it, you know, some of it does depend on the, the future, basically, of zinc and copper in particular. These are metals which they're really attached to, copper in specific. And, again, copper is a metal that we do want to be uh, hooked up to because of you know, the steady demand, the more and more costly supply, which kind of provides a, uh, a floor to the price of copper because this, this is a metal that has very few good substitutes, you know, because of its electric, uh, conductivity and everything else, whether it be in semiconductors, electric motors, etc. And as I said, this is a metal that's in order to get cheaply out of the ground, to extract cheaply out of the ground, gets more and more and more costly. Are you adding to your holdings there? Um, I, no, we haven't. We haven't recently because at this stage, but you know, it, it, it's very volatile. So again, I just recite our rule is if we believe a company's worth X and it drops significantly away from X, you can assume that it's, it's that's the signal to add a little bit to your position. Okay. And so it has been very strong. Uh, but, you know, the price is volatile. I mean, I think it was almost at 170 about a week ago, and I'm looking at my screen today, it's at 156. I mean, in any given day, the trading range of Glencore is at least five percentage points, it seems. It is one of the more volatile stocks we own. And I think it's because traders use yeah. it as a surrogate for commodity prices. And well, it's a very poor surrogate. 
But this is inefficiencies of the market, which long-term investors could exploit. Well, we thank you very much for uh, for your analysis there. We got to leave it there, unfortunately. David Harrell, he runs the Oakmark Funds for Harris Investments, Chief Investment Officer. Coming up, we're going to check in on the, the latest on the Gannett Tribune deal. Coming up, though, with all due respect, highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit Land Rover, tristate.com, or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond. <laughs> 